spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans, for the fans. Cajun Nation, welcome in to another edition of Ragin' Review. Matt Miguez, Jerry Bear. No man about town, Josh Jacno this evening. He's got to deal with things a little more important than us. But we got a lot to talk about tonight on Rage Review. The Cajuns ranked once again the 24th best team in the country and by far the best team in the state of Louisiana. We will also do a behind enemy lines segment. Brought to you by the good guys. Uh, could not find a, a Georgia State guest, so we will we will do it ourselves. And uh, we've got some conference realignment to uh, to discuss tonight. Jerry Abear joins me. Jerry, good evening. How are you, man? Doing fine. Happy Monday. It's a great day. It's a great day, especially you're seven and one, nationally ranked. And we got a short week, which means Cajun football returns a lot quicker than a regular week. Yeah, man, it's gonna be so, it's gonna be weird being at Cajun Field twice in five days. That's not I'm okay with it though. It's not something we're used to, especially when you're ranked. Yeah, no, no question about it, uh, man. And you know, I know we did the post game reaction Saturday, but real quickly, I just what a great environment homecoming was. On Saturday, I mean, twenty nine thousand people witnessed a dominating forty five to nothing win. I just, I don't know where you can go wrong. No, there really wasn't much that went wrong um, outside of court. Of course, the concession line that was a little bit longer than what most of us would have liked. But outside of that, the gameplay was great. The weather was perfect. The atmosphere was outstanding. The parade before the game was was great. You know, I have people that have told me that they need to do that homecoming parade from now on going through Cajun field yeah, because that's a great it's, idea. A, it's a great, it's a great setting. And it's all easy. The people don't have to leave there. their tailgate. Right. Yeah. It was perfect. Ran right through the tailgate. Um, you know, and of course, um, Kayla has a cousin that is in one of the sororities. So of course we saw her float and, um, it was a good time overall. Uh, Dr. Maggard, I saw, uh, Dr. Maggard on one of the cars. He threw me a little mini football. Thanks for the throw doc. Uh, and we were able to, Go to the alumni tent, get some gumbo. Great setup over there, and um, it was good to see everybody. There was a lot. There were a lot of people there that I haven't seen in a while. Former players, former staff members uh, that came back for homecoming. So just overall, a great experience, great atmosphere, and a great win. Yeah, no, no question about it. And you know, if if you look at it. Saturday's crowd was the 14th largest in school history, which doesn't sound, you know, all that great. But at the same time, when when you look at what the attendance numbers have been recently, to be knocking on the door of 30,000 in Cajun Field, it, it's incredible. Well, um, it's the largest crowd since Billy's first game against Grambling. And yep. like we said the other day, Grambling brought. Yeah, it was only, it was on crowd. Saturday's crowd was only about 80 people smaller than the Grambling crowd. 
and most of which were Cajun fans. Right. Um, I, I think Grambling probably brought a couple, at least four or five thousand fans in 2018. Right. Whereas Texas, Texas State probably brought about a hundred. Yeah. So it was mostly it was. I mean, it was all Cajun fans. Right. And so um, I think for the first time in a while, we got a Saturday game, which helped, and add in the fact that we were winning. Um, the weather was great. So for the first time in a long time, we got to experience the Saturday environment that we've been waiting for for a while. And, and you know, we we all complained about the 11 o'clock kickoff. I complained. You complained. Josh complained. The whole fan base complained. It actually worked out. It worked out. Believe it or not. It worked out. Um, had to wake up a little bit earlier. I think we were more concerned about the attendance. People showed up. Yep. I, I got to give a did. shout out to, to Lafayette and Acadiana. People showed up. And um, I guess that's what happens when you're right outside of the top 25 uh, at the time. I guess when you're winning. Going to uh, have people, to do it again Thursday night. People want to join. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You got to show up and again. I, and, and I expect the crowd to show up again. I expect a good crowd Thursday night. Now that we're ranked, I mean, that should add. And then, people, you know, like, okay, the, the, the Tuesday night game against App, I, I, I get a little bit. A Thursday game is going to be a lot easier to make than a Tuesday for for multiple reasons. Number one, the next day's Friday. So, you know, people are like, oh, well, you know, I just got to get through one more day of work before the weekend. Or in a lot of cases, a lot of businesses in Lafayette, they close at noon on Fridays. So they're or like, just oh, take the whole day off. <laughs> right. Or just take the whole day off. So it's just like, oh, well, you know, if only going to work till 12, what's four hours? I think it helps too that we're winning. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I remember, I think it was 2017, HUD's last year. We had a game on Thursday night against Texas State. I think the attendance was like 13,000 fans mm-hmm. or something like that. 13, 14, maybe. Um, the lowest attended crowd so far this year was 17,000 against Ohio. Really, that's the one crowd we've had that's going under 20,000. So we're getting the fan base back. Um, I think. Saturday solidified the fact that we do have the fan base back. Um, but now we just need to do it more consistently, right? You have a team that is on the verge of really barring a win on, on Thursday, clinches the West, clinches a spot in the championship game. And a team that's so hot right now that as long as they went out, we're going to add another home game on December 4th. So we need all the fans to still show up, still go still support this team and help this team carry the momentum that they have now um, and be a part of the ride, you know, be a part of it. This is a lot of fun right now, you know? Yeah. No, no question about it. One thing I got to ask you that we're talking about the top 25 ranking. How, how do you feel about coastal being ranked 21? I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it because I think, look, they were already what 24th last week. They won their games. Um, you know, I know a lot of fans are upset about it, saying that, well, we should be ranked higher because they lost to, to App and we beat App. Look, honestly, I understand the circumstances because the reality is if, if we lose another conference game, we have to go to Coastal. But at the, on, at the same time, we're really close. And you've got two teams ranked in the top 25 from the Sun Belt. Um, not to mention, if App wins out, they have a chance to jump into the top 25. They got about three or four weeks yep. to do that before the championship game. So 
I don't really, it doesn't bother me too much. I'm more worried about us. I'm more ecstatic about us being in the top 25. Uh, I'm not worried about Coastal too much. I'm more relieved that we actually have two Sunbelt schools in the top 25. The only way Coastal becomes a problem is if we lose a conference game and App loses two. Correct. Yeah. Well, no. App would have if App yeah, they just loses, have to lose one. Right. If we lose one and App loses one, Coastal becomes a problem. Of course, because we have to go there. Otherwise, well, no. No. No, if they're well, higher ranks. If we yeah, lose another no, you're one, right. if we you're lose right. one, they'll be higher ranks. If we lose, if we lose a conference game. Why, yeah, you're right. You're right. I think that's why people are frustrated because they're like, well, why should they be ranked higher? And my answer is because you know, we were outside the top 25. We're not going to jump them. They were already in the top 25. And clearly, clearly, I don't want to jinx anything, but looking at app schedule the rest of the way, do you really see a game where they slip? I don't. I don't either. No. I, I don't I don't see, I don't. especially not the way that they've been playing. No. I mean, God, no. did you see I, what I, they did to ULM? Look, I don't know what it was, but I think we let a firecracker under their rear ends. Hey, um, I'm for it. They've turned it. They've turned on the Jets since our game. I mean, the rest, um, the rest of the way, the rest of the way, they have Arkansas State this Saturday, South Alabama, Troy, Georgia Southern. I don't, I don't see it. The I, I only think one be. I would see them losing is Georgia Southern, strictly because of the rivalry game. But Georgia Southern. Yep. I mean, no offense to Eagle Nation, but Southern's awful. Well, they are they awful. They need to go find another coach. I mean, they're, they're on the verge with an interim. Um, they just, it's one of those seasons for them where they're just trying to make ends meet and finish the year off in the most positive way that they can. Um, shouldn't have lost that game the other night against Georgia State. No, no, Georgia State. I do think Georgia State was the better team when it counted and when it mattered. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. I don't think they're. I still don't think they're a bad team. I just don't think. You know, when you fire your head coach, what three, four games into the season, you lose direction on where do you where you go, and I, I just think they're they're a ship without a captain right now. Yep. Um, so I think they just you just ride it out, you grit your teeth. Take take the beatings now and and start fresh in January for spring. Looking get ready for next year. Looking at the Cajun schedule the rest of the way, Georgia State this Thursday, Troy next Saturday, Liberty after that, and then after that ULM to end the year. Realistically, where do you see the Cajun slipping up, if at all? Liberty. Maybe Troy, but I I don't. I don't. Troy doesn't scare me too much. Now let, let's let's play this. You and I both agree that Liberty is the most likely opponent that we slip up to. Does a loss to Liberty hurt us? No, they're not a conference team. So you think? Well, yeah, that that's a good point because we'd still be undefeated in the conference. Yeah, I'm not like I think the only thing it would yeah, affect yeah, yeah. us is if whether or not you host, right? You don't want to lose to Liberty because so, 
Well, no, 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 no. It no, wouldn't we'd matter. We'd still be undefeated. We'd still be it undefeated in the conference. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So it wouldn't no, matter. I'm, I mean, I, it doesn't bother me. I mean, conference I record conference record is going to come first before overall. Well, I know there's people out there that are like, well, if Cincinnati gets in the playoff, there's an outside chance we can go to a P6. I'm not worried about that right now. I'm not worried about that right now. I want to host a championship. We host a championship. We win a championship. I want to win a championship before our goal is a New Year's Six. Yeah. If a New Year's Six six is Lanyap on top of it, great. But this year, I'd much rather win a conference championship and go play in the New Orleans Bowl and then just worry about New Year's Six later. Right. I'm, I'm I not worried about championship. that right now. No, could care less right now. Well, focus on the conference. Yep. Clinch the West. Clinch the West on Thursday. Yep. Take care Go of business. Undefeated. I, and obviously, we don't want to jump the gun. We, we're not going to overlook any opponent. Um, but, uh, yeah, I definitely agree that Liberty would be the likeliest of, of defeats in our in our remaining four games. Jerry, let's talk conference realignment now. Uh, oh, Yes. You know, obviously, everybody knows Southern Miss Marshall and Old Dominion have joined the Sun Belt. James Madison, supposedly not far behind, but it's one of those situations where every day that passes, you become a little less confident. I think they're still in. I, I, the other three schools wouldn't have agreed if, if James Madison wasn't coming. I think they're still in. Look, the board of the, the the Virginia board already voted on it last week. They approved it. Now it's semantics. Now it's semantics. Now it's going through the process of has the red the, tape. Has they're, the state approved it? I believe so. I think that's what it was last week, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I know James Madison's board of governors approved it, but did the Virginia Athletic Commission approve it? I think that was the big hiccup. I think they still need to do that to go through that process, right. which I, I think, expect I think them that's to the big hit very up. soon. Yeah. Um, they announced it that uh, James Madison, the board of uh, visitors has unanimously, had unanimously approved the recommendation to move up to the FBS level closer to the Sundown conference. Um, now let's see the law requires to get the approval from the general assembly for a move from the FCS to FBS, so they have to go through the General Assembly. A meeting of the Intercollegiate Athletics Review Commission next Friday morning at 10.30 a.m., so that's this coming Friday. Yeah, so this coming Friday, they'll, they'll meet. Um, so they'll meet, I think they'll meet this Friday, and we'll, we'll see from where, where it goes. Uh, but I think they're one step closer. Look, I think it's all formality at this point. Yeah. Why, why would they say no? What, what, what I mean, what there's no reason for them to say no. So it, it's always tricky when politics gets in the way, man. They're in. They're in. I'm not worried about it. If Old Dominion gets voted in, JMU should, should get voted in as well. But obviously, the the big conversation that we need to talk about with conference realignment comes out of the MAC. Yeah. Um, it has been reported, and reported very likely that Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee State will join the MAC. And if that's the case, that leaves Conference USA with only three teams. FIU, mm-hmm. UTEP, and South Arkansas at Ruston. Yeah. Three schools, Jerry. Three schools. What do you what do you there's no no possible way that you will find seven 
FCS schools with a big enough budget to move up. There's no way. No. Will not no, happen. I believe you need eight members, I think. You need 10 to play F- football. Well, you need eight. You need eight, I think, from the FBS level. Correct. To, to be able to exist. I mean. So, yeah, no. Tech's, I mean, Conference <sighs> USA is dead. If, if this is true and Western and middle accept an offer to go to the Mac, which when I hear the words likely, okay, from Brett McMurphy or any, or anybody, that, it's either family or whoever, the word likely usually means it's, it's eminent that they're going. Um, if that happens, yeah, there's, that's it. So let's I mean, do this. Nothing. Let's do this. If you're FIU, UTEP, or Louisiana Tech. What do you do? Because you, you go can't, independent. You who can afford that? What other option do you have? Where where else are you going to go? Where where where's FIU going to go geographically and their footprint? Who, who's where are they going to go? Beg the American? No way. Nope. Not happening. UTEP has already asked the Mountain West. The Mountain West has come out publicly saying they don't want them. And Louisiana Tech, I mean, we already when, know. When does, when does the WAC start playing FBS football again? 2022, right? 22? Or 2023? Let me see. Let me look that up. Should be soon. Hell, what I would do is I would join the WAC, play FCS for two years, and then just move up to FBS when they move up. Well, the Wax playing football right now, uh, right? Mac. But it, but at the FCS level is my point. Oh well, I mean, yeah, that's that's. So that's, I, I say you join the Mac, the Wax. You play FCS football for a year or two, and then when the Wax makes the jump back to FBS, you're just you're in the Wax. Well, here's the problem: you're not going to jump down and come back up. So what they'll have to do is they'll probably have to go independent until the Wax decides to come up. Once the WAC decides to come up is when they can join. But here's the thing. Would all the schools agree in that conference to move up? Do they have the money to do it? Can Lamar, Dixie State, and Abilene Christian, do they have the money to be able to sustain a program that will allow them to compete at the FBS level? I don't think they do. Look, Sam Houston State, who's also in that conference, their students voted no to an athletic fee just last week. That that kills any chance of Sam Houston moving up unless they have some type of private donor money that we don't know about. They're not going to be able to sustain itself and support itself financially if you vote no um, to a to a student fee. You need you need that money. They don't have the money. So your only independents right now: Army, BYU, Liberty, Mexico State, Notre Dame, UConn, UMass. So. Here's here's what I'm wondering because you're obviously going to have to be able to afford to travel anywhere in the country for all of your sports. Yeah. So the the question that I'm I'm curious about is is there a schedule so obviously I know independence you can play anybody but are there scheduling guidelines to 
being an independent? Like, do you have to play a certain number of FBS games? Do you have to play? Like, are 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 there guidelines to that? I don't know. Because if I'm La Tech to save money, I'm mixing it up between FBS and FCS schools in the Gulf Coast. Well, and okay, not leaving the, the Gulf eligi- Coast. The bowl eligibility rule, I'm not sure if it's still in effect or not, but you have to win a minimum of six games, six games with, one, right. with one FCS victory in that. So if they start mixing up. So it can only FCS, be one. I think it's only one. So, like, if they want to get bowl eligible, you know, you, you, you're going to have to be very careful on, how, number one, how many FCS teams you schedule and how many wins you can pull off again against who if you want a chance to, to participate in the postseason. That's so it's a very complicated situation, man. I don't see how they're going to do it. I don't. FIU, I could see it. You, you know, Boca Raton, you, you've, you've got that, not Boca Raton, Miami. My, uh, well, yeah, Miami, correct. Um, I mean, similar concept. You've got, you've got wealthy, you've got wealthy investors, wealthy boosters. I think you could figure out a way to make FIU work. UTEP. You could. UTEP, uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know much about their fan base or their budget or anything like that. But, dude, La Tech, there's no, there's no way they make it as an independent. No way. They have no choice. They're going to die. They have no choice. They have no choice. Where, where else are they going to go? Sunbelt doesn't want them. My, American doesn't want them. My, how the tables have turned. Well, when you burn bridges, like I said last Good week, when you burn God. bridges for decades and decades and you come out publicly like, that, like, like their former athletic director did and basically not only insult our school, but the entire conference with a bit of arrogance. You know, it wasn't just the UL fan base that was offended by that. I think every fan base of the Sunbelt Conference was offended. No, for sure. You know, administrators heard that. Um, for sure. You know, uh, university officials from the Sunbelt Conference heard that. The Sunbelt Conference officials heard that. Why would you want to vote somebody like that in when specifically they said what they said, especially, especially at the fact yep. that not only did he say it, but not a single administrator, booster, anyone associated with that university, not a single person retracted that statement. Silence is right. deafening. That's they supported the, what he said. That's and now it's ironic because they're all like, oh, please take us. What do we, you know, everybody, I don't understand why people think we're being arrogant. Like, are you, are you kidding? <laughs> are you, no. are you serious? They're delu- really? They're delusional in South Arkansas, dude. Really? They're delusional. One of them posted on the message board the other night that the reason why the athletic directors of the Sunbelt Conference will not take Louisiana Because they know know. that they would immediately be the top team of the conference or whatever. I mean, is that absurd or what? Is that absurd or what? They're two and six and just gave Old Dominion their first home win against an FBS opponent in a thousand days. Yeah. But we're so. But we're you're so gonna afraid. be you're gonna be the best team in the Sun Belt. Get the we're hell so get the hell out of here. I, I'm shaking right now. Shaking. <sighs> we'll take a break here on Region Review, and we come back. We'll go behind enemy lines. 
give Jerry and I will take you behind enemy lines um, because apparently George State has no media coverage. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Uh, we'll tell you everything you need to know about the Panthers. We'll talk their stats. We'll talk their schedule. We'll talk their roster. Give you all that and more. Get you ready for Thursday night, 630 on the worldwide leader. It's a blackout at Cajun Field. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Acadiana business owners, are you looking for custom solutions from local professionals that understand your business needs? Maybe you're looking to streamline your processes, become more efficient, and achieve elevated peace of mind? Utilizing and combined 30 years of experience in the financial and technology fields, the Vaulted Security Team is ready to assist you with reaching your goals. From credit card processing, internet and phone services, website hosting and design, to hosted cloud, even digital marketing and recovery software, Vaulted Security can do it all. Here's a message from Solutions Specialist, Anna Bourgeois. Hi, I'm Anna Bourgeois, your Solutions Specialist, and it's my goal to understand how we can make your business run more efficiently while increasing profits. I'm very passionate about doing business genuinely. In the merchant services industry and other business areas, it's hard to find a partner that you can trust without question. I'm here to change that perception. Give me a chance to show you what true partnership is all about. Contact Anna today at 337-210-4272 or email Anna at Vaulted Security. Welcome back to Raging Review, Matt Miguez, Jerry Abair. It's time to go to behind enemy lines this week we're talking about the Panthers of Georgia State as the 24 ranked Louisiana Ridge and Cajuns prepare to host the Panthers at Cajun Field Thursday night military appreciation night it's also a blackout 6.30pm kickoff on ESPN the worldwide leader you can hear it ESPN 14.20am or ESPN 103.3 FM. Crazy that our local ESPN station can now be found on both the AM and FM dial. Finally. I, I've switched my car over this morning from the AM station to the FM station, and I was yes. pretty happy about it. I we was can actually pick up it. a signal past Abbeville. All right. Well, you know, one problem that I had today, and I'm, I'm hint to text our guy, Scott Prather, about it. The audio levels 
and I don't know if this is a station thing or if this was a national production thing or whatever, but I was listening to, I don't remember what show was on at five something when I was driving home from work, but the audio levels kept fluctuating. Yeah. And they are growing pains, you know, and out. takes a little while to adjust. I think, I think they'll, they'll get it fixed sooner or later. Um, and again, so I, it, it, it was national programming. Um, so I don't know if it was, if, if it was a national thing or, you know, whatever, but definitely frustrating to, uh, to endure, but you know, not, not a big deal. Moving on. Let's go, Gary, <laughs> let's go, let's go behind enemy lines. Yeah. Let's talk, let's talk the Panthers of, Georgia State, we should be getting paid for this because we're going to be the Georgia State beat writers for you guys tonight. For real. Georgia State comes into this game with a record of four and four winners of their last three. Uh, They opened their season with two tough games, Army, North Carolina. Neither one of them were pretty. Uh, They lost to Army 43 to 10 at home. And then the next Saturday, they went to Chapel Hill and lost 59 to 17. Then they open their season, their third game, gets their first win against Charlotte, 20-9. to They had a close battle with Auburn. Um, in my opinion, Georgia State got screwed in that game. Uh, late, late there in the game. And then they opened conference play with App State. And all I'm going to say is yikes. 45-16, uh, to 16, App State demolished them before turning the corner and getting demolished by Louisiana. Heyo. But then Georgia Southern got it together. Winners of their last three, like I stated, wins over ULM 55 to 21, Texas State 28 to 16. And this past weekend, they won the Battle of Georgia over Georgia Southern 21 to 14. Um, so, you know, they, they faced some good competition throughout the year. I mean, Army, North Carolina, Charlotte's no slouch, Auburn's in the SEC. Uh, we've seen what App State can do. Um, so, I mean, they've, they've played some good competition throughout the season, but you know, one thing that's, that's sticking out to me, Jerry, is that this team is only averaging around 24 points a game. Yeah. I, you know, they were sort of the dark horse of the conference going into the season. Um, you know, they showed a lot of promise last year. Uh, I think as a whole, I mean, look, we had to go to overtime to beat them last year, as you remember or recall in Atlanta. Um, and you know, they're very, they're, you know, they, they went to the lending tree bowl, got a nice win against a good Western Kentucky team. You know, Sean Elliott has done wonders for that program over the past few seasons from going to Tennessee, getting a win in Tennessee to, you know, pretty much putting them in a bowl game just about every year. He's been the coach for the most part. Um, and so I think lately, uh, one thing's for sure. They, when they're, they're very hot, very, they're very hot, cold. Um, you know, the game against App State, I watched a little bit of it before going to, to our game against South Al. I had the chance to watch a good three quarters. And, um, you know, they, they hung in there in the first half and then got a few bad breaks in the second half before letting App run away with it. But for the most part, they hung in the game. Um, you know, the Auburn game, like you said, they, they kind of got the shaft. They should have won. Uh, they pretty much dominated for three and a half quarters. And then of course, Auburn just turned on the jets, decided to show up to play and one, one or two missed calls as well as uh, an Auburn break or two. And that was it. So 
they're very um I think I think the word is is as far as Georgia State is potential. You don't want to you don't want to go toe to toe with them. You definitely want to you definitely want to, to out physical them. Um, you know, you look at their personnel, they run a spread, but then they have a guy uh, like Tucker Gregg at running back. He's like Mike Allstott and Christian McCaffrey mixed together. Dude is like all upper body and he's got calf muscles like the side, you know, bigger than my torso. And he'll run right through you with four, four speed. Um, but then they get finesse. They spread it out. Um, their quarterback now, uh, you know, Darren Granger can, can air it out. It's got a hell of an arm. Uh, the receiving core is very talented guys like Jamari thrash and, uh, Creedle and Dixon and uh, Pickney. I mean, they've got some guys that have been there for a while that have all, um, done a really good job there. So, you know, this is not a team we want to play with or mess with. Uh, they're on a three game win streak right now. Uh, and two of those wins on the road especially coming off a 21-14 win against arch-rival Georgia Southern this week. So they're coming on a high, and they've got some momentum with them, just like the Cajuns do. So I, uh, I'm not going to say I'm nervous about the game, but I am a little concerned for the quick turnaround. Um, you know, hopefully this ranking doesn't affect our team's focus because they're going in with nothing up. The Georgia State is going in with nothing to lose. So um, should be a good game, but I, I still think that Georgia State's one of those teams they can – they can play spoiler as we've seen before. Yeah, Georgia State definitely makes me nervous. Um, looking at some of their statistics, Tucker Gregg is their leading rusher on the year. Uh, about 550 yards, four touchdowns, um, averaging about six yards a carry. He's a stud, man. And he's he's all, like, he's just so strong. Um, he's a bulldozer. He is. He pulled off this long run against Auburn, this touchdown run. I think it was like 50 yards or something ridiculous. I mean, just burst through the second level to where he was. I mean, it wasn't even close to catching him. And I remember watching that thinking to myself, okay, like even when we play him, our front seven be better be on its P's and Q's, which I know they will be, but he's going to get his, he's going to, he's going to get some yardage, but, but just enough to where hopefully our uh, kind of like, kind of like, was it Tyler Vitt or Taylor Vitt last week? Um, you know, he was able to get his 15 yard carries, but hopefully our defense can tighten up and, and prepare for that. But then the problem with Georgia, like I said, Georgia state's passing attack is they run that spread and they got receiving, they got a receiving core that's very talented and can move. And they've got a quarterback that has a rocket on and Darren Granger yeah. uh, transfer from Furman. So speaking of Darren Granger, it's going to be a challenge. Speaking of Darren Granger, he's completed about 60% of his passes on the year. Uh, has a QBR on the year of 147.9. <laughs> uh, 924 yards, 11 touchdowns, three interceptions. That's impressive. Uh, yeah, impressive numbers from a team that doesn't really throw the ball a whole lot. I mean, he's only thrown the ball 123 times this year. So about 15 passes, about 15 throws a game on average. No, no doubt about it. He's really good. And um, now we got to be on our got to be on our P's and Q's defensively to stop him. And then you talked about receivers. Uh, Jamari Thrash is their leading receiver on the year. 326 yards, three touchdowns, uh, averages 13 yards a catch. Roger Carter, their tight end, 160 yards and a touchdown, averaging 15 yards a catch. Uh, Cornelius McCoy has only played in four of their eight games so far, seven catches for 56 yards. And then Sam Pickney has played in six out of eight, 12 catches, 118 yards. 
on the year for those two guys who have been dominant in the past for the Panthers. And um, defensively, leading tackler for Georgia State is Jordan Venizale. Venizale? I'm not I'm not even sure I might be butchering that. Uh, <laughs> if you count solo and assisted combined, he has 65 total tackles on the year, three and a half tackles for loss, two sacks. Uh, he has forced a fumble and recovered a fumble on the season. And then, you know, I'm I'm scrolling through the list and looking at the other players to see if there's a name that pops out to me from the past. But none of them really ring a bell. I mean, Blake Carroll is their second leading tackler with 59. He has an interception on the year, as does Antavius Lane and Chris Moore, their third and fourth leading tacklers, respectively. This, in in watching tape, you know, this, Jerry, seems like a team that really wants to put pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, they got a very aggressive front seven line. Um, you'll definitely see them try to break through the line. They'll definitely try to put some pressure on uh, Levi a little bit. Uh, I noticed last season they were able to put some pressure on him a few times. Quarterback rushes, you know, they're 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 rushing it. Their rush, uh, their defensive rush was pretty impressive uh, for the most part. But I thought our running game was able to. I thought our running game did pretty well against them last year. I thought we were able to mix and match a little bit with them, spread the ball out a little bit. Um, but it doesn't take away the fact that they do have some speed on the edges. Uh, they do have a really decent secondary and they're very quick. Um, they got a quick front seven. So going to have to have our, going to have to have our a game offensively. I think if we stick with the game plan that we we're used to running a balance attack, like we did the other day, kind of thinking doing five, six yards, a, a, um, a play, I think we should be fine. But, um, yeah, they're they're Georgia State as a whole is kind of a mystery team. Um, they have talent, but you know they can either be the team that showed up against Auburn or they can be the team that showed up against App. But I think it's like I said, it's the worst case scenario in the fact that um, not that we we should have trouble against them, but I just don't like the fact that we're playing a team on a three game win streak. Uh, you know, so on five days rest. On five days rest, yeah. So uh, I think as long as we take care of business, we should be okay. But they will be a, they, they're going to be a challenge. I mean, I, I didn't like – I was nervous a few weeks back when I saw the way the schedule fell on this five-day turnaround because Georgia State can play spoiler. That's, that's yeah. who they are. And they've always given us a decent game. So um, not a team you want to take lightly. And, um, you know, some of these guys you mentioned, they are pretty talented watching the film and watching uh, their highlights of other games. Yeah, talking about Sean Elliott, uh, he's been the Georgia Southern coach for, uh, I want to say this is year five. This will be year five, yeah. This season is his fifth. Um, he's done pretty well at uh, at Georgia State. I mean, not nothing, you know, bouncing off the page, but... So in 2017, his first year at Georgia State, they went seven and five with a bowl game. Uh, 2018, they had a down year, went two and ten. Uh, 2019, seven and six, went to a bowl game, and then last year, six and four, won a bowl game. So I mean, his head coaching record, if you take out his six games as the interim head coach at South Carolina, in which he went one and five, um, 
Let's see. He's 22 and 25 at Georgia Southern. I mean, at Georgia State, excuse me. So right now, right now he's 26 and 29. Believe it or not, you take out that two and. So he went seven and five in 2017, two and 10 in 2018, seven and six in 2019, six and four last year. year. And he's sitting at four and four. He's had out of the four full seasons he's coached, three of them have been winning seasons. Yep. And he's won two bowl games. So he's got, I mean, he's built, he's, he's built something in Georgia state and he's been able to maintain it. Um, so he's, he's done a really good job. He's a very aggressive coach. He's full of energy. He's one of those guys that gets his players fired up. Um, was it him that used to headbutt? The, well, yeah, it was him that was headbutting before the North Carolina game. Yep. Headbutting, headbutting the, the players with their helmets on. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, dude just wants a concussion. Guy's got energy, man. Just they want to play for, for him. Concussion. He's a player's coach. He's a player's coach. Uh, he also coached at uh, Appalachian State in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, he coached at South Carolina for a few years under Steve Spurrier. So he's got a good, he's got a good little resume there. Um, he actually went to App State, uh, played defensive end, yep. uh, was an all-Southern conference player in his senior year. So he was, look, I, got re- I, like, I like Sean Elliott. I got a lot of respect for Sean Elliott. What he's built at Georgia State has been very impressive. He's been the one coach really there that has maintained a winning sort of a – a winning culture there, if that makes sense. Um, so he's building something special there in Atlanta. And uh, in his, like I said, in his 13 years as on the staff at App State, 10 playoff berths, two trips to the semifinals, three appearances in the quarterfinals, three championships. Wow. Yeah. And there you go. in his playing days at App State, he was the first player in Mountaineer history to appear in the playoffs four separate seasons. Wow. Hey, mad props for him, man. Mad props. He's yeah, part so of he, he, he knows, coach. He knows what he's doing. Coach for Steve Spurrier, playing under Jerry Moore. He's part, you know, he's been part of winning cultures. In so his in his nine years, in his nine years as a Mountaineers offensive line coach, Elliott's players earned all America distinctions on twelve occasions, including four different linemen who received first team honors. He also coached All-American and future NFL tight end Daniel Wilcox in 2000. So, I mean, the guy's got a resume. Um, no question. He was he was on staff at App when they beat Michigan in 07 in the big house. Yeah, yeah. And um, won three, national cha- three straight national titles with him, too, as the offensive line coach. Yeah, so very impressive. Like you said, he's building something special at Georgia State. Um I think that's just, it's just one of those things where it's going to take time. Uh, yeah. Obviously, oh, yeah. obviously, seven and five and six and four don't really sound impressive. But this is also Georgia State's also a fairly new team to FBS. Well, if you go by where they've been before he got there, <laughs> compared right. to where they are now, that since he's been there, you can't you cannot tip your hat off to him yep. for what he's built for, sure. uh, for the Panther football program. Um, you know, and I know they moved into that new stadium, the old Turner Field. Yeah. Um, Center and, Park you know, Stadium. Yeah, he's got something to recruit to. He's got something to recruit to. And there's a lot of talent in that Atlanta area and the surrounding areas down in Georgia. So, yeah, he's he's built something special there. And, and he's one of those – he's just one of those types of – one of those teams that you just don't want to overlook. Yeah. You no. don't want to overlook them. Auburn, Auburn learned that. Yeah, Auburn, Auburn learned did. that the hard Auburn way. Auburn learned that. 
Jerry, before we go to break again, the line is 11 and a half in favor of the Cajuns with an over-under of 53 and a half. Taking that information into account, what's your prediction for Thursday night? Well, you know me, I'm not a betting man, so I couldn't tell you as far as the point spread goes, but as far as predictions go, um, I think right now, Cajuns have a lot of momentum coming off of Saturday's win against Texas State. Um, I think I think Georgia State's going to come in with nothing to lose. Like I said, three game win streak. They got a lot. To, they got a lot on the line as well. Four and four record. I think the Cajuns going to overpower them a little bit. I think where the Cajuns have an advantage. I think the Cajuns are going to win based off of certain breaks. I can see why it's an eleven point spread. Um, because Georgia state's been, they've, they've, you know, outside of, outside of their three, I know three of their four losses have been pretty much blowouts, but, um, they've been able to pull off some solid wins as well against Charlotte in the last three, in the last three games too. Um, so I'm probably going to say, I think what's going to happen is I think the Cajun offense, they do what they did last week, run the ball well, keep it balanced. Levi has to be on his P's and Q's as always. Got to throw the ball a little bit better than he did the last two games. He does what he did against App State. Game's going to be over at halftime. Defensively, I think the defense matches well against Georgia State's offense. Um, Got to keep them off the field. Don't want to give them opportunities. Like I said, they're very finesse. They're very good in the skill positions. Keep them off the field. Offense keep doing their thing. If they do that, I think the Cajuns could probably come off with a win. I'm going to say Cajuns playing at home. They've been playing lights out. I'll probably go Cajuns 28, Georgia State 14. Yeah, I can say 28-14 Cajuns. Before, go to 8-1, get before, that ranking up. Before I give my prediction, I'm scrolling through Twitter while you're talking just now. And Emory Hunt a good friend of ours. Um, Absolutely. Retweets a tweet from Ian Rappaport talking about the Titans are expected to work out Adrian Peterson this week with the Derrick injury, with the Derrick Henry foot injury. Emory Hunt retweets it and says, announce LSU to the Sun Belt already, Ian. <laughs> Dude. Oh, nice. Dude. Nice. Oh, I, I love, love I love when he trolls LSU. It's hilarious. Um, prediction, man. Like you said, Georgia Southern. I mean, God, I keep doing that. Georgia State is they're they're a good football team. No question about it. Three t- three straight wins. Uh, Darren Granger's stat line so far this season speaks for itself. Especially since he was the guy that wasn't thought to be the starter going into this year. Uh, obviously, with the year that. Cornelius Brown, the fourth, a.k.a. Quad Brown, had last year. Everybody thought that he was going to be the guy. Um, and obviously, you, you hear the news today that, that Quad is entering the transfer portal. Along with a couple weeks ago, you heard Destin Coates. They're starting mm-hmm. running back from last year. He, he's going to the transfer portal. So that's you know that's concerning uh, for, from a program standpoint if you're Georgia State. Sure. Uh, but, no, I mean, I'll give credit where credit's due. The Panthers are a good team. Uh, I think that they will give the Cajuns trouble in certain areas. But in a 60-minute game, I I think the Cajuns are just going to be too much to handle. Uh, Agreed. I'm going to go 35-17. That's fair. I think that's fair. It's about an 18-point win. 
I said 14 points. You said 18. That's about right. I can see that. Uh, I think it's going to be a close game through two and a half quarters. And then the Cajuns just stick the dagger in them later in the game. Yeah, nah, I can see that. Um, so, yeah, 630 Thursday night, ESPN, ESPN Lafayette, 1420 AM, 103.3 FM. Plenty of ways that you can get the game online or on your TV, but it's a blackout. It's military appreciation night. If you have a valid military ID, you will get two free tickets to the game with your valid ID. So uh, show up, support our servicemen and women, support the Cajuns, you know, top 25 ranking, and uh, we'll have a hell of a time at Cajun Field Thursday night. But we will take one last break here on Rage and Review, and when we come back, we will talk Cajuns in the NFL. What a performance by Elijah Mitchell in the Windy City. We will talk... We will give you a rundown of what happened in the Sun Belt this past week and games coming up this weekend. And Jerry brings you his infamous Man I Tell You What segment. Don't you dare go anywhere. Rage Interviews right back after this. Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. For the third and final time tonight, welcome back. Region Review, Matt Miguez, Jerry Bear. It's time to talk some Cajuns in the NFL. And we will begin with the guy that the entire league is talking about right now. That is 49ers running back Elijah Mitchell. Former Erath Bobcat and former Rage and Cajun, of course. Eli, dominating game yesterday, 18 carries, 137 yards, and a touchdown for the Niners and Soldier Field, no less. In Chicago, one of the toughest places to play in the entire league, 
and he just dominated. Averaged 7.6 yards per carry on the day yesterday. This puts him at 433 yards on the season so far. Um, 350 of those yards coming after initial contact. I mean, what what more do you say? And it's his third 100-yard rushing performance of the year. And he's only played him five games. You know, we all knew he would be a great running back in the NFL. We all knew that he would have a chance with somebody, but never did I guess he would light it up this quickly as he as he's done. Um, I mean, and, and the thing is, he just he, he looks like he's a natural man. I mean, you remember, people remember the storyline of Trey Sermon at Ohio State last year and how he just dominated down the backstretch of the season. Dude, there are Niners fans posting on Twitter saying that they might cut Sermon at the end of the year. <laughs> to keep Mitchell? Just because they don't need him. That's unbelievable. Um, there is, Saves, there some, is reports. Put some more money in the salary cap. There is reports that Eli, Eli will be limited in practice this week with a rib injury that he suffered yesterday. But according to multiple tweets talking about the injury, he waved off a sub after it occurring. So... Obviously, it wasn't bad enough to where he left the game, which is uh, which is encouraging. Um, so on the season so far, Elijah Mitchell has 433 rushing yards on 81 carries. So a little over five yards a carry so far this year and three touchdowns mm-hmm. in five <laughs> games played. Oh, my gosh. That is so awesome. I'm so happy for Eli, man. And you know what? He looks again. He looks like a natural the way he's able to the way he's been able to play lately. Uh, the, the the speed, the way he lowers his shoulder. He just it's hard for a running back to just come in like that, especially from a G5 school and just dominate the way he has so far and really become a huge play a big role in that San Francisco offense. Yeah. Um. I I can't be happier for the, him. I know the, I know that I know the town of Erath is like oh for sure like in Parliament are, right now watching him this. light it up. And you know the last and, I mean, and look I don't even like the 49ers, but like I can't not be happy oh, for Eli. I'm I'm not a 49ers fan of the slightest, but I'm telling you, every time I watch Eli play, I Google a 49ers jersey because Absolutely. I'm I'm so tempted to pull the trigger on one. Absolutely, no question. So tempted to buy one. But no, one more tweet that I'll talk about mentioning Eli Mitchell before we move on. This is from Pro Football Focus Fantasy Football. Most rushing yards in week eight by running backs. Third on the list, Najee Harris, 91 yards. First on the list, Elijah Mitchell, 137 yards. Jerry, go ahead and ask me who's number two on the list. Who's number two on the list, Matt? Elijah Mitchell after contact of his 137 yards yesterday 135 were after contact that's insane that's insane 135 yards after contact I, I yeah, can't I can't express how just dominant that is that's impressive man only two of it's his impressive. only two of his yards came after came without a hit. 
I mean, I just, that is absolutely unreal. Uh, his longest run of the day yesterday was a 39-yard run. Just unreal. Unreal day by Elijah Mitchell. Uh, like we said, couldn't be happier for him. He is actually in the running this week for the NFL FedEx Grounds Player of the Week. Uh, so what we will do is after we finish recording, we will post a link to the Twitter page to go vote for Eli as the FedEx ground player of the week, because that's just unreal that he is eligible for that honor five games into his NFL career. Un- I mean, unreal, unreal. Uh, I still, I, I still can't get over the fact that he's become already the premier back in San oh, Francisco. He's, he's the guy in San Francisco. He's the guy. Francisco. Yeah, and he will be for a long time if he keeps this up. No doubt, he will be for a long, long time if he keeps this up. Um, I'm actually retweeting it right now, so if y'all see it. Before we post this episode, obviously, you've already voted. But if you see it, if you don't see it until I tell you about it, pull up our Twitter page, go find the link, go vote for Eli uh, to be the FedEx ground player of the week following a career-high performance of 137 yards against the Bears. Another guy I want to touch on that uh, doesn't really get a whole lot of love, Justin Hamilton. Juice! Juice was... Epic. Phenomenal. Last night. Yeah. Great game last night for the Cowboys. Um, and he played a big role in getting that win, man. And as you much know, as I hate to admit it, I don't like the Cowboys either, but no. you know, got to pull for the former Cajuns, of course. No. Um, and you know, if you look at the stat line, his, his stats aren't great, but only had three tackles. But just the way he was able to disrupt the Minnesota offense last night. It, it's just what an unbelievable performance by a guy who has bounced around from team to team and practice squad to practice squad, what seems to be for 10 years now. Well, just like, just like Christian Ringo, they graduated in the same, same year. Um, and they both have, you know, they've, they've, they've put the time in, they've earned their, they've earned the weight. They've worked hard. It's like Roby used to say, work while you wait. They work while they waited. And they both have had opportunities uh, this year. Of course, Ringo for the Saints and St. Juice. You know what he's done for the Cowboys. Um, yeah, it's been it's, it's really, really great to see. And really, really great to see that, that he was able to make a few tackles the other I, night. I've, I've got a rant. Uh, I've got a rant. Can we find a website that will give us NFL stats without playing ads? <laughs> I didn't think they make their money, man. Every They're time I try to pull up stats to talk about Cajuns in the NFL, there's some damn USAA commercial. Hey, USAA. Thank Jesus Lord. I could do it from my phone, couldn't I? Smarter, smarter than you look, Matthew. <laughs> um, another guy that had a great game yesterday, Tracy Walker, uh, for the for the Detroit Lions. I mean, man, this guy. He has just been doing it. 
for every year he's been in the league. He he just finds a way to impress you. I mean, he only had 21 tackles his rookie year. He followed that up with 103 in 2019, 87 last year, 44 so far on the year with a sack. He's just a ball hawk, man. He just disrupts that defense. I mean, he, he disrupts receivers. He It's just unreal what he's doing for Detroit. No question. And, you know, he's been able to solidify his spot on that roster as, a, as pretty much the guy at cornerback. Um, and he's, he's earned his stripes, man. He's earned his stripes. He's done a great job. And, uh, you know, he's the one guy that sort of solidified really just a consistent, a consistent chance to play. Um, been in the NFL for what, three years now, I believe three or four. Yeah. Yeah. So something about something about defensive backs from the Cajuns or from Louisiana that tend to, uh, shine in the NFL. Yeah. It always, it always seems to work out. It always, and it's always, a nor- it's always out. a Northern team too. Bears, Steelers, right. Lions. So con- congrats to, to those guys. Obviously, Elijah Mitchell. I mean, Elijah McGuire on a practice squad. Um, Christian Ringo playing for the Saints. But if I remember correctly, he got hurt against Seattle. Yeah, he did. Um, and I don't think he played yesterday for the Saints. I think Anyamata. I think then Anyamata. Anyamata came back. Yeah, which was huge yeah. because the first play of the game, he stuffed Leonard Fournette in the backfield. Yeah, Saints um, defense played lights out yesterday. That was a fun game. God, what a blow losing Jameis. Don't get me started. I was yeah, that oh, was upsetting. God, that was and, upsetting. And, and you know, and and we're gonna get off topic here for a minute because obviously we're we're just gonna have to talk about this. You lose Jameis Winston for the year to an ACL injury. So now you have Trevor Simeon. Boring. Uh, you have Taysom Hill, who can't play right now with because of a concussion. And even if he is healthy, I don't think he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. And then you have rookie Ian Book, who has gotten comparisons to Drew Brees. But, you know, we haven't seen it because all he's gotten is preseason time. If I'm Sean Payton, I am walking into the front office and saying we need to either A, trade for a guy before tomorrow's deadline, or B, go get me Cam Newton. I don't want Cam. You're telling me that you would rather Trevor Simeon be our quarterback for the remainder of the year compared to a guy who's been a league MVP and knows how to win. The thing about Cam, it's not necessarily I don't want Cam because of that. I think Cam is injury prone. Number one, um, he's thirty-two years old. His, I mean, he, he's his body's beat up. Um, to me, I feel like his style as well, the type of quarterback he is, he's sort of that zone read, spread option type quarterback. You're going to have to change the offense based around what he's able to do, and I just don't think it's. I don't think he can fit in you're, the scheme that we're running now. You're going to have to change the offense for anybody. But in that case, you might as well play Taysom at quarterback because they're pretty much the same as far as their styles go. Um, I, I don't know, man. It's going to be a long season. I just feel like right now, um, especially with 
especially with, with, with Taysom at quarterback, the difference I think between Cam and Taysom, Cam's obviously got the better arm, you know, um, but they're the same style. And you've seen Taysom at quarterback. Don't get me wrong. I know there's a lot of Taysom Hill fans, but he's not, I don't think his style can last consistently for a long time. There's no longevity to the style of, you know, the type of quarterback he is. The reason why Taysom Hill is such a great quarterback or just a great Saints player to me is it's the highlights of him not playing quarterback, you know, him catching a touchdown pass, him playing tight end, him blocking a punt, him making a tackle on the kickoff team, him running the ball on third and one, you know, as a running back, that's Taysom Hill. Um, And technically you kind of need him to do those things because it, 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 it creates, it's, it, it keeps the defense on their toes. So, I would, I know this sounds crazy. I'm like you, unless you go get, you know, you're going to have to go trade for somebody or to me, you just have to go with either book or Simeon. The good news about Simeon is Simeon does have uh, experience as a starting quarterback. And look, he held his own yesterday. If not, you know, in book, I mean, everybody wants to talk about him being Drew Brees. I've yet to see it. Um, even at Notre Dame, I thought he was okay. Um, but there's a learning curve to that too. So I probably go with the veteran leader, the veteran quarterback. I probably have to go with Simeon on this one, unless we trade for somebody by tomorrow. I don't know if that's possible. Yeah. I mean, I've read some people say that we could give the Niners a third for Jimmy G. Yeah. I don't know about that, man. I love to, I look, I've been saying to get Garoppolo. I said to get him when he was at new England. I mean, they're they're locked, them, they're locked in on Trey England. Lance. They're locked in on Trey Lance being the guy for their future. Well, so I mean, they might be willing to ship him. I don't know. I take him. Look, he's 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 he fits the scheme. He fits the offense. He's got a great arm. He's not he's he's not getting any younger, but I would take him. Real quick, a conference recap of from last week. In week nine, Coastal Carolina escapes Troy, 35-28. to 28. Uh, Obviously, we know what happened with Louisiana, 45 to nothing over Texas State. App State dismantles Monroe, 59-28. South Al all over Arkansas State, 31-13. And Georgia State, one touchdown victors over Southern, 21-14. Jerry... You know, looking at the schedule for week 10, crazy that we're already in week 10. Huh. Um, Tell me. Thursday night, Georgia State, Louisiana. And then Saturday, four Sunbelt games, App State, Arkansas State. App State, a 21-point favorite. They'll win that game. Uh, UL Monroe and Texas State. Texas State, three and a half. Give me the Warhawks. Oh, easily. Give me, give me the Warhawks. Uh, South Al and Troy. Troy minus four. Yeah, that's fair. Give me Troy. And then in the nightcap for the Sun Belt, 5 p.m., Coastal Carolina, number 21, against Georgia Southern. Coastal minus 20. All I'm going to say is gonna get, win that game. all I'm going to say is get after that ass. Let's yeah, go they're Eagles. Going to, they're not going to, unfortunately. Not, but um, let's go Eagles. Exactly. God dang it. 
You know, the, the, did you hear what happened today? Speaking of around the conference, the athletic director for Texas oh, State. We broke them. We broke the Bobcats. Wow. Sent a letter to supporters. He sent the letter. He's, he's apologizing for how awful they've been. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Anyways. And and basically, he admitted that, you know, he talked to Jake Spavitol. The, the coaching staff, they understand the circumstances. And look, they actually said they're going to increase the football budget. Yeah. And they're going to do pay. They're going to pay full cost of attendance, which I thought they already did, but apparently not. Jerry, before we get to your man, I tell you what segment. You ready to be excited? What you got? There's eight days until basketball. Yay. Hey, dude, I'm excited. I really am. I think that this team is going to do things. I mean, Joe Charles, Joe Charles, a 6'7", 195-pound freshman from Karen Crow. He's going to be a dominating force in the paint. Uh, You get Trajan Wesley back from injury. You get Kobe Julian back from injury. You bring in Jalen Dalcourt, a Lafayette native, transfer out of San Jose State. Theo Akuba's back. Dury Cadwell's back from injury. You bring in Greg Williams Jr. Greg the Menace, an LCA standout who transferred in from St. John's University in New York. Uh, Jordan Brown, I mean, Jesus Christ, Jordan Brown's a five-star recruit. Uh, transfer from Arizona. Dugay is back for another year. Isaiah Richards is back again. Get Brian AU back. Ty Harper was a four-star that we got last year. And then... Carter Domang. Dude, I'm telling you right now, Carter Domang might be the dark horse on this entire roster. A 6'2", 205-pound freshman from St. Thomas Moore. The kid can shoot. The kid can protect the basketball. He plays great defense. And, and this might be the most important attribute that he brings. He's very coachable. He's always willing to learn, get better, find new ways to master his craft. Dude, I'm excited about this basketball team. I am. Um, the schedule is not great. I'm not a fan of the schedule, uh, especially the home schedule. Uh, the road schedule, you know, it's okay. We go to Southern Miss. We get to play Indiana. We get to play Marshall. Uh, you go to Houston. That's your that's your non conference and then you know your typical your typical conference games. But you know, the home schedule West Florida, Xavier, New Orleans, Jackson State, UNO, McNeese, Loyola. I mean, it's all in state schools. So that's not great. But again, I, I that's as much as I hate to admit it, that's the same song and dance every year. We always play nothing but in-state schools. So, you know, it, it is what it is at this point. Again, I think this team's going to do big things, and I think they're going to contend, seriously contend, for a conference championship. They should. I mean, the, 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 team, the guys you just named are all very talented players. I think this is... I'm just, you know... Look, I want to get excited. I'm in football mode right now. You know, teams ranked in the top 25. You know, when you start off against playing Loyola, New Orleans, and Xavier, New Orleans, it's like you're really 
I, I can't I can't start jumping up well, and down about how excited off, we start I am off by that, playing you know? West Florida. Oh, even better, West Florida. Yay! Okay, great. Well, you know what? That's fine. I'll be excited when we go to Bloomington. When we go to uh, was it Bloomington? Yeah, play, we'll Indiana. play Indiana. I'll be excited when we go play Houston. I'm curious to see what we do because look, we're going to win those games against West Florida, and we're going to beat Xavier. We're going to beat yep. Loyola New Orleans. You know, and then those the, three wins right there. And then the women's um, program, dude. The women's program. They finished. Yeah, second. talk about. Talk about their home schedule. I'm curious, who do they play at home? They finished second in the conference last year, had a WNIT appearance. Um, they opened their regular season uh, against Texas A&M Kingsville. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they host Rice. Oh, okay. Rice. They host UNO. Yeah, pretty pretty cool. They host Xavier of Louisiana. Yeah. They host LSUS. Mm-hmm. They host La Tech. Hmm, okay. And then on a Thursday night, November 18th, they host the Women's College Basketball Hall of Famer Kim Mulkey and the LSU Lady Tigers. I'm, I've got nothing to say to that. It's relationships, man. I mean... What what it, else is there to say? It I all comes hear, down to relationships. Uh, if if the women's basketball team and look, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm not. But if the women's basketball team can bring in Kim Mulkey and the LSU Fighting Tigers to the Cajun Dome, can we do that on the other angle here on the men's team? Not bring I mean, LSU. I mean, maybe look, not LSU, but God, we all know we all know that's not going to happen with LSU. But bring somebody better than can't we get? You know, Xavier, Texas Tech. Or, you know, um, um, God, I'm drawing blanks here. What are, what are some big schools around here? Memphis. TCU, Memphis. Southern Illinois. We, we couldn't get one I of mean, those programs to come to the Cajun Dome for a night? I mean, UA, UA, UAB. UAB? And, and. Old Miss? Uh, whatever. Anyway. Look, I'm going to say this about the men's basketball team. That team is full of talent, okay? They got full a of lot talent. of good players. Up and down that full roster. Of talent. Um, if they stay healthy, which has been sort of the Achilles heel, no pun intended, they've, you know, they've been hurt. Poor, poor luck, right? Um, teams should contend for a conference title. Yep. Teams should contend. You, you know what? You know and, that better yet, better yet, this team should be on a bracket come March. I'm going to even go as far as saying yep. that. I, I don't disagree. Um, you know, you know, your team has talent when you lose your two starting guards from a year ago. To you, you ready for this? Let, let's not blow your mind here. Texas Tech and Ohio State, and you replace them with guys just as good, if not better. Better. So better. Look, I'm just going to be real, man. And, no, and, and, that's, and that's no knock on Malik Wilson and Cedric Russell. They're both fantastic players. But you brought in guys this offseason that are better than them. Well, I'm just going to say this. No excuses. If the team stays healthy, team stays healthy, no excuses. Get the job done. I, I don't want to hear about teams being intimidated to play us. I don't want to hear about how many games we won last year. You got the talent. Get it done. This team has the talent to do it. You stay healthy, get it done. All right. 
look, we'll be there. We'll watch the games. We'll support this team. They got all, they're going to be fun to watch. They're going to be fun to watch. Yep. I'll be there Tuesday but night. Get it done. That's all I ask. Get it done. You got the look. They have, they're loaded. They're loaded with talent. Just stay healthy. That's all I ask is stay healthy. Yep. No question um, about it. Jerry. Yes, sir. Do you know what time it is? What time is it, Matthew? Then I tell you what. Oh. What you got? First of all, I want to say thank you to the, I've got some, uh, got some feedback from last week. I thought people were very core, uh, very uh, positive on the, on the, on my ex, my, my commentary about homecoming. So I figured I'd give you another little piece of commentary, my inner Jim Henderson, if you will, it is Monday. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about where we stand as a program, uh, trying to remember what we did in the past and not do it again, <laughs> uh, overall, but, uh, wonder to review a little bit about homecoming and talk about, uh, where we, where we're headed as a football program. So, here we go. Man, I tell you what. What a fun Saturday that was. We experienced the homecoming festivities. We got to tailgate on a Saturday for the first time in almost two months. The weather was perfect. And the crowd of just under 29,000 got to watch the Cajuns dominate conference foe Texas State from the opening kickoff to the final whistle. As we said, so bad that the Texas State Athletic Director had to send an apology letter to all of the boosters. But enough about that. Outside of having to wait a little bit longer for the food in the concession line, everything else seemed to go just right. It's a day that created great memories, which brings me to my next point. As general sports fans, like anything else, we can sometimes recall where we were and what we were doing in a moment when our favorite team grabbed glory. We as Cajun fans also have our share of memories. Some of us can recall where we were when the late Dion Rainey hit the game-winning shot in Black Coliseum to beat UAB in the first round of the 1980 NIT tournament. We can recall where we were when Rick Heidel slid into home plate to eliminate Clemson in the 2000 College Baseball World Series. And of course, we can recall where we were when Brett Baer kicked that 50-yard field goal as time expired to give the Cajuns their first bowl victory since 1944. These are memories that are all a part of our history. Last week, I discussed on this exact segment the importance of homecoming and how we can all appreciate the memories, but also embrace the vision of the future by taking advantage of what we have today. This past Sunday, around 1 p.m., the Louisiana Raging Cajuns found themselves ranked number 24 in the AP poll. For me, besides containing myself with the excitement of being ranked for the second year in a row, which was a feat that has never been done by our football program before, another memory came rushing back. The year was 1996. The Cajuns had just come off the season opening loss two weeks prior to the eventual national champion Florida Gators led by head coach Steve Spurrier and Heisman Trophy winner Danny Werfel. And they were about to start off their home schedule with a bang by hosting number 25, Texas A&M. I was seven years old at the time and my dad decided to take me to that football game. I guess you could say it was my first real experience at a UL football game because the atmosphere felt what I would say as big time. Luckily for me, my dad had some friends on the team who happened to be coaches. So we were able to get the sideline passes that allowed us to stand on the field for the entire game. 
I just remember seeing the massive crowd plunge into Cajun Field from the full hills on both sides to the stands being completely packed. But the game itself is what will stick with me for the rest of my life. I was standing next to my dad on the sideline at around the 30-yard line when Cajun's cornerback Damon Mason intercepted Texas A&M quarterback Brandon Stewart's pass, running right by us and taking it to the end zone for a touchdown. I will never forget the euphoric roar of the 38,783 screaming fans at that moment. It was loud. It was unbelievable. I will say that the Mason... I will always say that the Mason pick six is the moment I became the diehard Cajuns fan that I am today. Of course, we all know what happened after that. For fans who were there, the Cajuns would go on to win 29-22, and the goalpost came down as the old South End Zone scoreboard flashed the graphic, we win. Legend has it that the goalposts are still being carried down West Congress to the Strip. Like the previous memories mentioned, we all know where we were the night we beat Texas A&M. If you talk to anyone in Lafayette, Cajun Field might have to add another 100,000 seats to fit all the people who claim to be there that very night. As a kid after the game, I thought every game was like that. I thought Cajun Field always had almost 40,000 in attendance. I thought the Cajuns would always host schools like Texas A&M on a regular basis. But the reality check came pretty quickly for all of us, including my seven-year-old self. Following the 1996 season and the loss of seniors like Damon Mason, Donald Richard, and Jake DeLone, the Cajuns would go 1-10 in, in 1997, including a loss to Division II school North Alabama. From 1997 to 2001, the football team would have a dismal record of 9-46. Scores like 66-0, 77-7, 72-20, 77-14, and 63-24 all seemed too familiar. But besides the lack of performance on the field, there was a lack of commitment from the higher-ups to fund the football program with decent coaching salaries, a recruiting budget, and enhanced facilities. Because of that, there were a lot of fans who left the program or took a very, very long break. Those were indeed the worst days of our program. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, after that Texas A&M win, we embraced the memory but did not use it to build for the future. Today, we see the exact opposite. Just fast forward to the present day. We are sitting here with a 7-1 record, a national ranking of number 24, and a coach whose name is as hot as anyone nationally in the realm of the coaching carousel. Now think about this for a second. This current Louisiana Raging Cajuns football team is now ranked one spot higher than that same Texas A&M team that came to Cajun Field 25 years ago. Also, we have an administration that is all in from Martin Hall to the athletic building on Reinhardt Drive. From the coach's salary being one of the highest in the group of five to the excitement of the long overdue Cajun Field renovation, as Billy Napier described on the day that he was announced as head coach, that is commitment. That's how far we've come. But the administration cannot do this alone. In the past, we have sat back and enjoyed the ride. Today, we as Cajun Nation must continue to show pride in our team and our university. We must continue to wear the vermilion in white. We must continue to show up to the games. And we must continue to be ambassadors to the Raging Cajun brand. 
man, I tell you what, let's not look back 25 years from now saying, man, I remember where I was when the Cajuns were ranked in the top 25. Talk about good times. No. Instead, how about we live in the moment and we also act on it? So then we can say, I remember where it all began. As Cajun fans, let's continue this momentum. And as the words go to the beginning of our fight song, let's all fight on Cajuns, fight on to victory. Enjoy the ride, Cajun Nation. Let's look forward to the future. Go Cajuns. Man, I tell you what. Once again, just going to hit the fight song. Um, nothing more to say after that. Well done, Jerry Abair. Thank you, sir. 6.30, Thursday night, blackout, military appreciation game. The Cajuns, the Panthers. Be there. We will be. Absolutely, wear black. Absolutely. I've got, about, right. I've got about three black jackets to choose from because it's going to be a cold one. Wear them all. <laughs> have you seen the weather? I might have to. <laughs> Good Lord. High of 64, rainy during the day. I think it drops down to 45 for kickoff. Good Lord. That's going to do it for this edition of Rage and Review. Matt Miguez, Jerry Bear. We'll see you guys Thursday night at Cajun Field. As always, good Cajuns. <laughs>